The following podcast is a W2M Network partnership production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment. You are now listening to The Football Five, only on the W2M Network. Welcome to The Football Five. Alongside Eric Watkins, Dylan Goldman, and Joshua Laurie, I'm Stephen Err. As we do every week here on The Football Five, we're going to go over the final scores from the week that was. Thursday night, how about the Cowboys? Beat, my, beat the Vikings. 17-15. The Chiefs upset the Falcons. Not upset, but they beat the Falcons by one. 29-28. The Ravens dominate the Dolphins 38-6. The Bears dominate the Niners, 26-6. The Bengals beat the Eagles, 32-14. The Pack hold up the Texas, 21-13. Broncos beat the Jaguars, 20-10. Patriots beat the Rams, 26-10. Lions beat the Saints, 20-13. Darius beat the Bills, 38-24. The Cardinals upset the Packers, 31-23. The Stellars beat the G-Men, 24-14. Bucks hold off the Chargers 20-21. Sunday night football, the Seahawks run over the Panthers 40-7. And Monday night, Colts beat the Jets 41-10. So Josh was telling us something a few days ago. He said it was a what-if quarterback. And still, after all this time, I still don't know what what a what-if quarterback is. So Josh, if you could please explain. Okay, so it wasn't a what-if quarterback. Basically, I was... Pr- I was listening to Bill Simmons' podcast, and they were talking about how Gronk is kind of becoming the greatest what-if player we're talking about. Because, I mean, when he's been able to play, he has been, hands down, the greatest tight end of all time. But he's not going to have the numbers that compared to Tony Gonzalez because of all the time he's missed with injury. And realistically, with this back surgery that he's had, his best days and his days of being the super uncoverable freak athlete are done. So that got me thinking, who are the greatest what-if players you can think of in NFL history? Obviously, we're not going to go through all that. Honorable mention to Gail Sayers, because that is who every super old head will tell you is the greatest what-if player. And if he was playing nowadays where they had constructive knee surgery... He probably would be one of the greatest running backs of all time. But my whole question is, who is your favorite what-if player? Honestly, you don't have to give me a minute here. I said that there was one that it might come as a surprise to everybody. Josh was the first one to call me out for my bias in seeing Sean Taylor. And I'm like, even with everything that happened and the tragedy that ended his career and unfortunately his life, that's not it. Yeah, there also, was- my qualifier was it, it. we're talking about strictly injuries. No early deaths, no self-inflicted injuries like Plexico Burris. Going no Ray Wright situations either. 
<laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it's strictly on the injury front. Yeah. And I saw that, and there was one that came to mind immediately. And you were both praised me because I all told you that it was going to be obscure. Very heralded linebacker at a University of Georgia. High draft. Oh, you, you, as that, this is, this is the same guy. I know exactly who it is. Yes. 2001 what? Defensive Rookie of the Year? I believe so. Played for the Blitzburg Steelers. One- nope. Oh, okay. Different, so different another, guy. No. Another University of Georgia linebacker. Okay, so let's yes. see what you got. Different guy. Also kind of linebacker and also defensive end as well. Played for Cincinnati, just unfortunately one game before a I, first I know injury. exactly who you're talking about. Yes, David Pollock. Loved the guy. One of the few non-Miami guys that I respected in college football. And just seeing how much of a beast he was, I thinking, especially at the time where the Bengals were kind of building and starting to go somewhere, he would have been a perfect fit for that defense. It one injury, took a bad hit, messed up his neck, career's over, is now a great analyst for ESPN, but I kept thinking to myself, if that injury had never happened, where would he be? I honestly think he might have not played his entire career in Cincinnati, may not be there now, but even as a journeyman, he would have gotten at least a hell of a great start in Cincinnati before going on maybe winding up on a championship defense elsewhere, but... Well, who knows? I mean, Cincinnati has gotten a lot of bad breaks, and they honestly are the what-if team. I mean, you're talking about Carson Palmer tearing his ACL in his first playoff start. You're talking about Kajani Carter, who we all talk of as a bust, but let's be real. When you tear your ACL on your first game, and it's an ACL tower before... Uh, Willis McGay, he came back from the dead after tearing his ACL in that Fiesta Bowl. Mm-hmm. Who knows the type of career he could have had if he was able to get stay healthy. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. That's why I wonder, like, all these advances and stuff and medical technology, and they say that maybe within the next, I don't know, 10, 15 years, we could get to the point to where an ACL tear is just a two-week injury. But it's always those things that you wonder about, and especially in Pollock's case, had that hit not happened so extremely early in his NFL career, I would have loved to see where it would have gone. Okay, yeah, I've got to agree with you. That is the spirit of this question. And since uh, we both have Georgia Bulldogs with our question, I'm going to go ahead and talk about my guy, Kendrell Bell, who mm. won the Defensive Rookie of the Year in 2001 with the Pittsburgh Steelers in arguably his best season. And you've also got to realize when we're talking about the Steelers of this time, we're talking about one of the greatest linebacker cores in the modern NFL history. In a way, we're talking about the second version of the Steel Curtain, led by Joey Porter and Jason Gilden and those great defenses the Steelers had. That is the team that made me the football fan I am today because it was the one time that I can remember that Cordell Stewart was actually 
playing like a starting quarterback, not the mediocre yo-yo that he would be for the majority of his career. Slash at his prime. I remember those days. But hey, you were talking about those defenses that, at least for that time, they're saying, well, how will they stack up against the 85 Bears? That was a huge thing, and I thought, linebacker-wise, <laughs> pretty comparable right about now. Yeah, so anyways, when we're talking about uh, Kendrell Bell, had over 100 tackles as a rookie, like I said, part of that great defense that went to the AFC Championship game, won Defensive Rookie of the Year. Early in his sophomore season, he hurt his knee, was able to come back, still had a successful season, but he injured it again towards the end of the year, and his career definitely fell off after that. He did manage to stick around in the league for a time. After he was cut from the Steelers after his fourth season, he ended up playing for the Kansas City Chiefs, but he never was as successful as he could have been and ended up retiring in after the 2007 season because of recurring injuries. But when you think of a guy who, despite the injuries, was still able to have a serviceable career as a as an NBA player, NFL player. He's kind of like the NFL's equivalent to Grant Hill, somebody who had such a great start and promise to the beginning of their career, but was derailed by injuries and still was able to have, by most metrics, a respectable career, but it just doesn't match up to the promise that we saw early on. So Eric had a player from the Bengals, David Pollock. That's who it was. Great guy, by the way. I love watching him on college game day. He's like the lesser of Lee Corso and Kurt Perstreet and Reese Davis and whatever. But he's he's still he's just gonna be ESPN. I had no idea he played football. That's news to me. Oh yeah, he was <laughs> an absolute <laughs> beast. I believe he was a top five pick. I think he was. Yes. Wow. Well, anyway, there was a running back at Cincinnati back in the eighties. I don't remember his name. But I remember when he when he scored touchdowns and he did a lot back in the eighties. He did the dance called the Iggy about. the Iggy Shuffle. You remember Iggy the Iggy Woods. Shuffle? Number Iggy thirty. Woods. That's it. And then he Iggy suffered Woods a real sucks. bad injury and he was never the same. So bad as a player, he's got an action Bronson song named after him. <laughs> yeah, I remember he suffered an injury and he was never the same. There was even a clip on NFL Network that showed this top ten with him in it. He was selling like those magazines, whatever, like programs outside of the stadium. Nobody knew who he was. It was so sad watching that. So I guess that's why I would pick for my guy, Icky Woods. All right, Dylan, you're up. All right, well, I'm going to have to go with Terrell Davis, who spent most of his career with the Broncos. This guy was one of the best postseason performers in history. He won two Super Bowls with the Broncos, and he was the catalyst on both of those teams. He rushed for 1,750 yards, 15 touchdowns, and 97, and followed that up with 2,008 yards and 21 touchdowns in 1998. Then, after he won those two Super Bowls, winning Super Bowl MVP in one of them, he tore his ACL, and he had recurring knee problems throughout those next two or three years that forced him to retire only after his fifth or sixth year in the league, which, of course, our topic makes you wonder, what if? Because, like I said, Terrell Davis, was he rushed for 2,000 yards in a season. He won the Super Bowl MVP, led his team to two Super Bowls, 
I mean, this guy was heading for greatness, and because he played such a short time, that's why he doesn't have the numbers and the ability like some other Hall of Fame running backs to be considered for that. I want to bring up a stat here if I can find it. It is quite interesting, actually. So here, among the 24 modern era Hall of Fame uh, running backs, only Earl Campbell and Eric Dickerson had more rushing yards during their first four seasons, and no member of the Hall of Fame matched Davis's first four seasons where he ran for 56 touchdowns. So based off of his first four seasons where, again, winning Super Bowl MVP, leading his team to Super Bowls, this guy was going for much more than what he already had. And unfortunately, he tore his ACL, and more and more knee problems came, came, and he had to retire only after his fifth or sixth season in the league. So for me, that's got to be my what-if player. Now, it's interesting that you picked Terrell Davis because – I don't know if Steven was the NFL fan that he is today back then. I definitely remember Terrell Davis as a beast. He was my favorite player on backyard football. And I know that Eric, being the old head of the show, definitely remembers <laughs> the old what <laughs> Terrell Davis was putting in work in the late 90s, early 2000s. Oh, yeah. oh, trust me. He was one of the reasons why when uh, the Jaguars were making one of their runs early in their franchise history, Everybody was printing shirts. It's like, oh, Super Bowl champions. And I'm like, you do realize we have to face Denver in these playoffs, right? Um, yeah, no. Well, let's back off a notch. They're going to feed him the rock, which they did. And, oh, my God, I felt miserable and vindicated all at the same time. <laughs> now, uh... There's one thing I've got to question you on, Dylan, about... I was going to say, uh, he was kind of the first guy, too, that had the uh, severe migraine problems. Yeah, he had those in Super Bowl 32. He had migraines, and he came back in the game and scored one or two touchdowns. Yeah, I I mean, obviously the knee problems were, were an issue, but I think that was also something that was kind of plaguing him, that they were worried about whether or not those were going to start coming up again. For him, yeah. so. But uh, Dylan, my one question is: Can we really call Terrell Davis a what if? A what if just because of now what we know yeah. about the careers that running backs have and how much running running with them, the way that Terrell Davis was used, wears down on a body. Like you're talking about 2,008 mm-hmm. yards. There are very few people who've done that. Like when you look at OJ Simpson. He did that, but he was also playing in the seventies, and we're not—we're talking about a different type of athlete and different type of types of hits that he has taken, play in and play out when he's playing back then, compared to playing even fifteen years ago, like Terrell Davis it was. So, do you think that, say, he would have been able to have a better recovery from that ACL injury if he hadn't been run down the way he was early in his career? Well, first, let me just start by saying answering your original question. I know this Terrell Davis is not like some of the earlier answers, like David Pollock, who didn't even get a chance to play. I know he's already had established success. But what I was saying is that he could have gone on and become a Hall of Famer, which he didn't get a chance to do because he played such a short career. And I understand your point. So I don't think he would have been able to run for around 2,008 yards like he did. So he probably... It would have been probably different, probably would have been less production, but I think he probably would have been able to do enough over those next 
three, four years or however long he would have been able to play after that five years, that he would have been able to at least be in the conversation up, up top, one of the best, you know, as a Hall of Famer, especially given off where he started. And I know he was beat up at start at the start of his career with the migraines and the knee issues and all that. So I think he would have been on pace if he kept it going and didn't get injured as much as he did. But that's why we're talking about what if players in this instance, because we're asking what if questions at this point. Well, I also want to say one thing about this is because even with this start, I want to try to add another dynamic into that. Not just his injuries, but after the back-to-back Super Bowls, Elway retired. So had he been at his peak and had he stayed in Denver, he would have gone through several years with the various quarterbacks. Now, especially under Mike Shanahan's offense, which is tailored to running backs because of their blocking scheme, would that also have been a factor? Because there would have been even more weight put on his shoulders while they tried to struggle and find and event possibly develop Elway's replacement. I mean, we did get to see that, though, with Clinton Portis and the running backs who followed him. I mean, 1,500-yard seasons were common for Broncos running backs in the early 2000s. Oh, yeah. Again, that's all Shanahan's offense. And would something like that, would it have been kept up with a different quarterback? Because you have to admit, even with that system, there was a little bit of pressure off because of what Elway was able to do, even at that point in his career. True, true. I I really wish this was more than just injuries, though, because there's so many other things that we can talk about. What ifs? Like Eric brought up Sean Taylor. He was great. What he, what, how many years did he play in the NFL before he tragically left us? We're talking about four seasons. Or we could even talk about Pat Tillman, another... As it's in the Pat Tillman? Oh, yeah. If we're not talking about death, we're talking about other things. Like Doug Flutie? Stud no, in Buffalo. No, no. Stud. Doug Flutie is not a what-if. Stud in Buffalo. And then he gets to play Rob Johnson, and they lose to the Music City Miracle. Way to go. Doug Flutie is not a what if because he was an NFL journeyman. That's like saying, oh, what if uh, Tommy Maddox had worked out in Denver as the replacement for John Elway that he was drafted to be and was able uh, to start that, not after a trip to the XFL and Cordell Stewart getting a concussion. He also, mention, uh, he also had a damn great career in other places. Yeah, and I'm, no. that's what I'm saying. With Flutie, he wasn't just an NFL journeyman. He was a multiple Grey Cup champion up in Canada. So, in what if nothing? He'd proven that he could win. It just didn't work consistently. That's a big difference. Okay. You got me there. I know he, I know he put in the CFL. He was very good in the CFL. I'd also just like to state it. that I still think Terrell Davis is going to make the Hall of Fame at some point. Yeah, I, I think he belongs in there. Two Super Bowl titles, a Super Bowl MVP. Like, you can't not give it to him. People are going to look like 20 years from now, look at his numbers and the context of them, and he's definitely going to be in the Hall of Fame. <sighs> Let me think. So we won't put Ray Rice in there either because he, no. he did great and no. then he got swayed no. No, no. Even even before all of that happened, he was way downhill. Couldn't even average three yards a carry. There's a reason why no team has signed him and Greg Hardy, the scumbag that he is, was able to get signed when his suspension was overturned. 
That's because Jerry Jones is something else. Uh, <laughs> Even though he is something else, you got to give him some sort of credit. I mean, he knows what he's doing at least some of the time. Yeah, the smartest thing he's done is draft Ezekiel Elliott and Dak Prescott. And um, you, you also draft have to Troy Aikman. That Jerry Jones was a guy whose son had to rap, had to basically physically restrain him from drafting one Johnny Menzel. So let's not give him too much credit. I'm oh, not giving him much credit at all. No, 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 no. He doesn't deserve credit that. All right, so there you have it. Our what if players? There's others, but yeah, we will get to them another time. So we'll come back to the football five next. It's game time, boys, and we know football. Football the Max is the podcast for you if you want in-depth analysis over the NFL and college football. We preview all the action coming your way over the weekend. And we break down all the big action after it's happened. Plus, we tackle all the big news topics and discuss everything when it comes to the gridiron. So come check out Football to the Max every Tuesday morning and Friday morning on the W2M Network. Would Flex Seal be a better option at your flex position? Do you need a sham wow to clean up the mess you make after your quarterback throws another interception? Then we have the solution for you. I'm Randy Isbell. And I'm Mike Mitchell. And we're here to clean up your fantasy mess with more power than OxyClean. Check out the Fantasy Football to the Max podcast every Monday and Thursday at W2Mnet.com. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, look up McCrigger Photography on Facebook. That's M-C-K-R-I-G-E-R Photography. We specialize in senior pictures, portraits, wedding photos, engagement photos, and family photos. Contact us for rates and dates. Are you an arena football fan looking for the latest news involving your team? Inside the Arena has you covered. Check us out for the latest news around both the Arena Football League and the Chinese Arena Football League. Read all of our stellar articles at InsideTheArena.org. Also, follow us on Twitter at Inside underscore Arena, and like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash InsideTheArena. Dylan, what are Blake Bortles' first half stats? 299 yards, two touchdowns, and interceptions. He could do better than that. He knows it. Rachel, what's the latest on Big Ben's leg injury? His leg is healing. He should return to the game. The Steelers will need him the rest of the way, so that's a big break for them. Eric, what's the score in Glendale? Cardinals lead the Patriots 42-7. We all saw that coming. Josh, how are Joe Flacco and Cisa coming along? I mean, I hate to say it, but they're looking good. I mean, they had a great game last week, and they're only one game out of first place in the AFC North. Don't count them being there that long. Do you want to hear more of that? Listen to the Football Five every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, only on the WTM Network. Also, follow us on Twitter, at the Football 5 So Eric brought up this thing about coaches in cold weather. Honestly, as the carol goes, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. We saw games, bitter cold snow, mainly in Chicago and Green Bay. As we get into the stretch run of the season, this kind of weather, except if you're in Florida, is going to be much more prevalent. Excuse me. The reason why I say 
these particular things is because how certain coaches coach with and against the elements. Yes, I have to harken back to the Tom Brady game in the throwback jerseys against Tennessee, wound up 58 to nothing, and that will, yes. But this week in particular, I saw two trends. Number one, the frozen tundra of Lambeau Field might be the only shot to give Green Bay back their mystique and maybe propel them into a backdoor in the playoffs. The way, even with the conditions and the snow on the field, they had their running game well. Aaron Rodgers was somehow revitalized, completing some ridiculous passes, and Osweiler and Houston couldn't handle it. But then, for the examples of good, I saw the examples of, well, stupid slash what are you thinking. Chicago had obviously one of their best running games of the season in their win against San Francisco. But there was one particular stat that kept catching my eye. Neither quarterback, Kaepernick nor Barkley, completed a pass the entire first quarter. Now, granted, they only attempted between them three passes. So that's pretty easy to do. But as the game wore on, they decided it's going to be the best old school smash mouth that older heads than me love and cherish. That, no, that, that wasn't smash mouth football. That was football back in the 1800s before the forward pass was a thing and when the football was the size of a human's head. And okay, but, a human's head. but would you not say that that is the epitome of smash mouth? Because that's all you did. No, minus that's the not smash helmets. mouth. That is half a yard in a cloud of dust and somebody trying to gouge out somebody else's eyes football. I'm furthering my point. Don't even get me started on the original flying wedge. But as that game went along, I saw Kaepernick was benched. Now, Chip Kelly after the game said he needed a change to give his team a spark and all of the usual coach speak. But I thought to myself, yes, he was sacked five times, but... How is he going to generate anything in the passing game when in the third quarter he's one for five for four yards? One for five for four yards. You put me out there at quarterback and I could do that on the first. No, you couldn't. Not with granted. I would be with that offense that they've got. Okay, well, not with that offense, but I mean, you put me somewhere on some NFL team. Granted, I would have to be carted off at the field at the end of the drive, but I could still do it. And then you put in Blaine Gabbert, and he even winds up finishing the game four for ten. So as a team, you only throw the ball. 15 times and complete five passes. Yes, I understand you don't have a lot of offensive talent. Yes, I've seen Chip Kelly and how his offense runs. Saw it in Philadelphia, saw it at Oregon. But you really have to have different expectations if you're coming out with that sort of a game plan. I mean, come on. If you're not going to throw... Don't bother replacing your quarterback. Plain and simple. 
any of these colder weather games. Some teams are still going to commit to the throw depending on the win. Others like Chicago are saying, we got Matt Barkley. We have at least a competent running back. We're at home. To hell with it. We're going to well, count yeah, but that, that's happened. another thing. Look at the quarterbacks in that game where they threw for less yards than most high schools do. They, the quarterbacks they had aren't Tom Brady, and they aren't cold-weather quarterbacks, okay? Jimmy Kloss, I mean, uh, Matt Barkley is not a starting quarterback. That's just a fact of the matter. True. And Russell and uh, the two guys the 49ers were running with, they aren't accustomed to playing in cold weather in the NFL. I mean, you can just look at where the two of them went to college. Utah, which, yes, it gets cold, but not cold like it does in Green Bay or Chicago. And then uh, where did Blaine Gabbert go? Somewhere out west? Blaine? No. Blaine Gabbert went to Missouri, and Kaepernick went to Nevada. Okay, again, places that can get cold at times, but nothing compared to what they were facing this weekend. Well, uh, Missouri, I don't know. I've seen some of those games. The only detriment is... Gabbert was going, I'm trying to remember, this was right before Missouri moved to the SEC. It was right around in that time frame. Because if, if Missouri had a state in the Big 12 with Gabbert, he would have played in that sort of weather. But either way, so you're also talking about game planning. Most coaches aren't going to have game plans for this just because half the teams in the NFL aren't in cold weather environments, and then the teams that are, a decent chunk of them have domes. So this is something that you're going to experience on average maybe two or three times a year unless you're playing in one of the divisions like the AFC North, NFC North, or the AFC East where you have to go to these cold weather teams in the division. And this is my point. I'm sure at some point you have a schedule when the schedule comes out, and you might think to yourself, even that week leading up to the game, it doesn't occur to you to pull out a weather forecast and think, ah, we might have to tweak some things. Yeah, but if you didn't install those plays in your playbook in the off season, you don't have those plays. And also, I mean, I don't know if you saw the video of the Western... Uh, I can't remember what coach it was, but there was a coach, college coach who, to get his team ready for last week, was literally having a fire truck douse the field in water, and he had the fire truck, the hose from the highest point of the ladder on this fire truck. Trust me, I will send you the video, and it is one of the most preposterous, ridiculous things I've ever seen a a college football coach do. And, like, I mean, college football coaches are borderline insane with some of the things they do to motivate their teams. Hey, you call it preposterous, I call that smart. That is thinking outside the box. <laughs> yes, but there, there's no way that you can simulate a cold weather team thing for your team to play the, in the environment. And your game plan might not work when it's howling winds and it's below freezing temperatures. Especially right. if you're a team like the Raiders, which is why they've got to be going for broke for home field advantage because they don't want to have to go to Foxborough for the AFC championship game. Oh, no. Del Rio, he could handle that as a coach. but And I'm I don't see your point. There's no that way that you say – I'm talking about taking a young quarterback from California. No, and I, that's what I'm saying. California to that cold-weather environment and having him throw there. 
Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. The real can handle it as a coach, but the players can. It doesn't matter if your quarterback can't throw in that environment. And I would reckon that about 40% of NFL quarterbacks cannot throw in cold weather. Okay, and I get that, and I get that there's no way to simulate it completely. I do understand that, but to have something that's that terrible, not just in planning, but in execution, I mean, yeah, even for an already 1-10 in team going into that game, that's just unacceptable. Mm. What I find amazing is that Chip Kelly still doesn't know who's going to start a quarterback. I would of course start he Cap. doesn't. How are you supposed I'm, to choose out of that dumpster fire of players so far this season? I mean, if you look at Cap's past numbers besides this game, which, by the way, I don't understand how like how God's name he did so bad against his Bears defense because I they just, don't, just don't get it. He function in cold. He weather. threw for two hundred three hundred sixty. What was it? Three hundred sixty eight yards against the Patriots defense. I mean, obviously. He's done pretty well from so past again, couple of games. And again, how is it bad? That was just non-existent. Five passes in two and plus quarters? That, that's just not even giving the man a chance. Yeah, look. I mean, this Bears defense is beat up. They're injured. They're not good to begin with. But when Kaepernick gets five <laughs> pass attempts in pouring snow, it's going to be hard to produce, and Chip Kelly did not give him a chance, as Eric has mentioned, to even produce, you know, some semblance of getting some passing yards. He got five pass attempts, and other than that, they didn't have any other they didn't have any other plan to execute anything on offense. They ran the ball, but that led them to six points, both which were set up by turnovers which were caused by with some help by the weather. So, I mean, we know from the beginning of the season that this 49ers team is going to be a mess, and they clearly were unprepared for this because you should know that in December in Chicago, you might be facing some harsh conditions. So they should have been aware they weren't. Kaepernick threw five times, Gabbard threw ten times, and they lost 26-6. to That was the result. That's what they got for their preparation, and that's what happened because they did not prepare they didn't give their quarterbacks a chance, and that's why they managed to score six points. This is why I say, while you can't simulate it, you can at least do something to prepare. This was just a total lack of preparation. I, I wouldn't say that because we're talking about professionals here. This is their job. They know more about football than we know, and they don't have an offense that can function when it gets below 30 degrees. They are fortunate that they don't they play in the division where that isn't a factor, and they also aren't going to be a playoff team, so that really hasn't been something they've had to game plan for. But it's a reality of this situation they find themselves in. Okay, and they're professional athletes and this and that. But would you agree that even with all the chaos, even with this going on, this is a defining game in Chip Kelly's head coaching career? At no, because Chip Kelly has stopped trying with this team, okay? Chip Kelly, if Nick Saban 
hadn't perfected the runaway from a team or Bobby Patino hadn't perfected the ditch the team with a couple weeks left, he would have done that already and slid himself back into his old job at Oregon, which has just opened up. He is well aware of that. He does not care because he does not believe he's got a future as an NFL coach. He is not putting in any effort because he is not going to have to deal with this team next season. Yeah, he's he's gone. He's not going to be back next year. He is mailing in his job. And as a fan of mailing it in, I've got to give it up to him. He's doing a damn good job of it. But you can't say I'll that this see. is reflective of him being a coach because he has stopped caring. Well, wouldn't you say that personality? I mean, yes, you, you know you're going to be gone, but I would talk to Nick Saban and Bobby Petrino, say, hey, y'all were able to cut tail and get away with it. Can you help a brother out? Come on. Well, they did that before Twitter was Twitter. And recruits were literally making decisions off of what coaches do on Twitter and what they see about them. Oh, please. I, if I'm doing that, I'm just like, here, potential recruit, you want some of these highlights and then just show them a clip of all kinds of videos of the good old days. I'm coming back, and that'd be that. But again, that doesn't do anything when every writer from the NFL team he used to be at is talking about how the organization is talking about him being gutless. As far as the quarterback competition goes, it really doesn't matter who they start next week. I think they should start Cap because the numbers are more impressive. But they're playing the Jets. They might yeah. actually win that game. <laughs> they might be. Because they are tanking, okay? They are being the 76ers of the NFL with no interest in winning these games. Just I hope they keep Todd Bowles. I, I really do because it ain't his fault. Yes, it is. He's the head coach. He is the CEO of this team. If it's anybody's fault that his team has been such a joke, it is that man's fault. Okay, but you're pretty much getting a pretty similar argument to San Francisco. Look at what Todd Bowles inherited. Todd Bowles also had that team on the brink of the playoffs last season. You can't use that same argument. Last year, even though they had a garbage coach, we knew what the city... what San Francisco was. A heap of trash. And would you not okay, but with that, he had him on the brink of the playoffs. Think about that. Would you not agree that, especially after this season, that what happened with Fitzpatrick is officially a fluke? I was was never deluding myself into saying that. But also, uh, what happened to their defense? Because it hasn't just been Fitzpatrick being Fitzpatrick. They have just fallen apart as an entire organization. I'll give you that one. Their defense quit. That showed right in front of my eyes last night. But mm, I mean, get it again. With all of this, what does you what? All right, take a breath and ask this question. You get rid of Todd Bowles. Who are you even going to get? Looking I, I, at the past three years of, the, of a body of work. I don't know who they're going to get, but it can't be any worse than it is right now. And who's to say it is? Uh, I mean, come on. Everybody thought that was going to get worse, and then I still hear it from Jet fans about the Kotite era. 
Well, yeah, but Kotite was about as useful as a head coach as a bag of potatoes, okay? That man had no business being a JV defensive coordinator or a freshman team special teams coach. Right, but you realize the Jets fans were saying before that those three infamous years, oh, it can't be any worse. Let me tell you, it can be worse. Yeah, well, we'll find out when they've got Jay Cutler as their starting quarterback next year. Oh, God. The Jets did the smartest thing by signing Chris to a one-year deal because now, after this crap season, they just get rid of him. No harm done. As far as Todd Bowles, I agree with Eric. They, he, he was like half a game out of the playoffs last year. I agree that they're doing bad this year, but they give him give him another quarterback. I mean, Eric Decker's going to come back from injury. Uh, but Marshall's no, you can't pretty say good. that when the team quits on the coach. When the team quits on the coach, they start stop tuning, listening to him. You've got to get a new voice in there because it's not going to regain the coach. It, it's one of two things. You either have to get rid of everybody on both sides of the ball or get rid of the coach. And it's a lot easier and more and less expensive to get rid of the man in charge. Considering yeah, what the Jets spent with some of those people, I beg to differ. Look, I think we can talk about both sides of the argument here because we're both Stephen and Eric make the point. Todd Bowles had them one game, uh-huh. one went away from uh-huh. the playoffs last year, <laughs> and this year, I mean, you look at it. I mean, they got an older team. They don't really have a lot of young talent. Their quarterback, obviously, we know Ryan Fitzpatrick, who was there last year. You know, so but they were on the brink of the playoffs last year. Now they basically quit this year, so they obviously need new talent. But Josh makes the good point where if they're playing like they did yesterday, they're losing by 31 points at home to a team that's on the on the brink of you know being a wild card team or barely making the playoffs in the AFC South. Then you're gonna have to look at your options and realize that. This guy isn't the guy that you want leading your team in the next two or three years, especially when they just don't listen to them anymore. They don't, you know, they don't, if they're not going to listen to him and they're not going to treat them, you know, they don't want him there anymore, then there's no reason for him to be there because they're just going to keep getting these 31 point losses and more three and 10 seasons like they're at right now if it remains this way. So sometimes you need to make change. And if your players quit on your coach, then even though it might not be all on Todd Bowles, you sometimes just have to make the change. So so which side of the argument are you on? I'm, I'm very confused. Well, I mean, I see both sides, but at the end of the day, if you want to have future success and you want to be a half-decent team, you're going to have to make a change at some point if your players play like they did yesterday when they lost by 31 points and they clearly – are not playing for their coach anymore. So that's a fire of the coach, right? Yes, that's what I would think. Okay, so we're split 2-2. So, Sean, uh, you get to split the balance. What's your thoughts on it? I don't think Sean's with us right now. All right. <laughs> but what about that? Hold on, hold on. Uh, sorry, I'm, yep. like, watching SmackDown at the same time here, so... Like, I'm trying to <laughs> do, like, 30 things at once, and it's difficult. All right, so we'll, we're going to go to commercial. We'll let Sean watch SmackDown. We talk Derek is next. 
Are you an arena football fan looking for the latest news involving your team? Inside the Arena has you covered. Check us out for the latest news around both the Arena Football League and the Chinese Arena Football League. Read all of our stellar articles at InsideTheArena.org. Also, follow us on Twitter at Inside underscore Arena. And like us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash InsideTheArena. Dylan, what are Blake Bortles' first half stats? 299 yards, two touchdowns, and interceptions. He could do better than that. He knows it. Rachel, what's the latest on Big Ben's leg injury? His leg is healing. He should return to the game. The Steelers will need him the rest of the way, so that's a big break for them. Eric, what's the score in Glendale? Cardinals lead the Patriots 42-7. to We all saw that coming. Josh, how are Joe Flacco and Cisa coming along? I mean, I hate to say it, but they're looking good. I mean, they had a great game last week, and they're only one game out of first place in the AFC North. Don't count them being there that long. Do you want to hear more of that? Listen to the Football Five every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, only on the WTM Network. Also, follow us on Twitter, at the Football Five. Would Flex Seal be a better option at your flex position? Do you need a sham wow to clean up the mess you make after your quarterback throws another interception? Then we have the solution for you. I'm Randy Isbell. And I'm Mike Mitchell. And we're here to clean up your fantasy mess with more power than OxyClean. Check out the Fantasy Football to the Max podcast every Monday and Thursday at W2Mnet.com. It's game time, boys, and we know football. Football to the Max is the podcast for you if you want in-depth analysis over the NFL and college football. We preview all the action coming your way over the weekend. And we break down all the big action after it's happened. Plus, we tackle all the big news topics and discuss everything when it comes to the gridiron. So come check out Football to the Max every Tuesday morning and Friday morning on the W2M Network. If you're in the Pittsburgh area, look up McCrigger Photography on Facebook. That's M-C-K-R-I-G-E-R Photography. We specialize in senior pictures, portraits, wedding photos, engagement photos, and family photos. Contact us for rates and dates. Okay, so we're back, I think. <laughs> so Dylan and I both have topics that will there So I just figured what the hell we're going to put it into one. We'll start with Dylan's. Since the Raiders and Chiefs play tomorrow night, they um, we're, we're going to discuss which team, I guess, Dylan, what was your point about the Raiders and Chiefs? I don't remember at this point. Well, I, I brought up that since they're playing tomorrow, which and they're going to be playing for a lot of position in the playoffs, which one is going to be the more dangerous team in the playoffs, assuming they both make it, which they're in good position to do that right now. 1,000% the team with the better defense because the thing is you can always deal with a team that's got an explosive offense and a defense which is miserable, which in spite of Khalil Mack possibly being – an MVP candidate on defense, there isn't much around him when it comes to the supporting staff versus a team with an elite defense and an offense that does just enough to win games. I would rather take the elite offense and be in a shootout than place a defense that you can shut down what you want to do in the passing and running game. Especially when you get into December football. So which team are you picking then? The Chiefs. Ah, no way. 
Derek Carr over Alex Smith any day. Derek hey, Carr is, I, again, he, it's less of he's a great quarterback. Steven, he has great Steven. targets with him. Go ahead. Two words. Eric Barry. Oh, he had one, that, uh, two interceptions against Matt Ryan. Big and he yeah, and Matt Ryan was back. the MVP of the first half of the season. You say Matt Ryan like this is Matt Ryan from a couple years ago. Yeah, no, this I've is Matt heard Ryan, Matty Ice, all-pro quarterback leading his team to a playoff berth if they don't choke it away again, which honestly might happen. Yeah, they've lost five of the last eight games, I think, after starting 4-0. Yeah, I'm not I'm not a buyer in Matty Ice or a buyer in the Falcons. The defense kept the Chiefs in that game, too, but Derek Carr is a – offense scores points. So offense yeah, wins the game. Yeah, defense wins championships. Okay, we're talking about championships now. What I'm saying I'm, is, I'm, who do you think that Bill Belichick is more intimidated intimidated by when they come into his house uh, for a playoff game in January, okay? Do you think he's worried about an upstart offense or a defense that can shut down what him and Brady want to do? Not to mention Andy Reid went toe-to-toe with Belichick and Brady in a Super Bowl. Okay, no, 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 less. no, no, no. Don't even, no, no, okay? That was not a Super Bowl. That was as close as the score depicted, okay? No but the, time, but the, at but, no time did anybody believe that the Eagles were going to win that Super Bowl. Let's the be main clear. reason why I realized that the Eagles weren't going to win was because that was the second time that year Donovan McNabb vomited on the field in between snaps at that particular stadium. Did it once against the Jaguars, wound up losing. Did it in that game, wound up losing. I saw that trend, and I'm like, eh, if my quarterback is puking in the middle of the game, that is not a good sign. So you got to throw that in there, too. Yeah, if you believe in that stu- superstitious voodoo mumbo-jumbo. And what is wrong with that? <laughs> no, I'm not saying anything is wrong with it. I'm just saying if you believe in it. We always talk about defense wins championships, and I'm not bringing up championships here. I was simply talking about a playoff contender and a team that could challenge a team like the Patriots or the Steelers who are considered the most dangerous or the most... Okay, you know what, Dylan? You're proving my point right there. Who do you think that the Steelers are more concerned about facing? An offense that they have to play in a shootout or a defense who can smother Antonio Brown and a front that can make it impossible for Le'Veon Bell to find a hole to run through. Well, you basically just said that for me. I was just going to say the Chiefs because while I love the Raiders and what they've been doing, you know, the way that they've come back, you know, they were one of the worst teams in the AFC. Now they're one of the best. But when it comes down to it, when we get into December and January football, We're not going to see too many shootouts. And when we talk about teams like the Patriots and the Steelers that can win in shootouts, they're not going to be concerned about a team like the Raiders as much because they're going to be able to score on their defense. And let's be honest here, Pittsburgh and New England don't have the best of defenses like a Seattle team, but they have enough. They have, you know, so they have the pedigree. They have all that. So they're the top teams, I would say, at least the most dangerous teams. And if I had to pick between Oakland and Kansas City, I mean, you know, if you don't have a solid offensive line, 
guarding Justin Houston is about one of the, is one of the tougher jobs that there is. And of course, at the same goes for Khalil Mack. But Kansas City has the most one of the more complete defenses in the entire league, going toe to toe with Seattle. So, for me, if I was one of those teams, the Patriots, the Steelers, I'm more worried about the Chiefs. So, and that does not mean I would not be worried about the Raiders because they're definitely one of the better teams right now. But when we're talking about playoff football and how important it is to have a consistent defense that can lock down your top receivers, pressure your quarterback, you know, force turnovers on your quarterback, and I'd have to take the Chiefs. But that doesn't mean I'm thinking the I'm not thinking past the Raiders either. That's all that would also be a tough out whoever they're going to play likely in the playoffs. So once again, the third straight week on a topic, I'm alone. What 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 is this? Conspiracy, I tell you. The Raiders, It's not a conspiracy. It's, a it's conspiracy. just thinking logically about this. Okay. Logically. We, no, this logic. is exactly the contest that we saw in a Super Bowl. When the Raiders, with the league's top offense, got absolutely bodied by the That's Buccaneers. That's because their that quarterback defense. was Rich Cannon. And yeah, they Rich still three touchdowns MVP who was throwing on everybody except for them. Okay, you can't say it's Rich Gannon when Rich Gannon was the best quarterback in the NFL that season. And especially the fact that this is the same Rich Cannon on Monday Night Football completed 21 consecutive passes in a single game. Yes, that Rich Cannon. Remember, it was number one offense versus number one defense. You see what happens and who usually wins. <laughs> Eric brought up the score 21 points in Super Bowl 37. Yeah, because Tim Brown and Jerry Rice, uh, I don't know if Randy Moss was on that team too. Those are their, their um, wide receivers. No. Moss what, what, what point are you trying to make now? Yeah, because fall. because their car is a better quarterback, Rich Gannon. And Michael Crabtree no. and Mark Cooper are not Jerry no. Rice. They're, not, no. they're, not, they're, not no. they're pretty, they are damn just, good wide receivers here. And I picked and them any the day over Al- receivers back then weren't good. I, again, best offense in the league. The Raiders right now aren't even the best offense in the league. No, they're not. And again, they scored three touchdowns. Tampa Bay's defense countered that with three touchdowns. The offense took care of the rest, and that's why the final score was what it was. But, I mean, ugh. Yeah, Tampa's defense scored three touchdowns. Why is that? Because Rich Gannon threw two interceptions that returned for touchdowns. Because they're a great defense. Ah, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Josh, we <laughs> need to leave Steven on this island I got a couple jet skis. Let's just go. There's no point now. I've been off of this island, okay? I just stopped by to get some coconuts to make some mojitos. Oh, jeez. All right, so stick with the Raiders here. Rob Gronkowski is out for the the year. We know this. So another question is, do you guys think that the Raiders are – could the Raiders stop New England? No. It's – they would play it close if they had home field at that game, but considering how young Derek Carr is, this will be great playoff experience, but he's not ready yet. Exactly. You're talking about a guy who has never been to a playoff game, okay? That's incredibly reckless to start speculating if he could 
go into Foxborough and beat the evil empire that is the New England Patriots, okay? And let's be real about it. They are a machine that we have not seen in the modern NFL and probably will never see again. No, I mean, and think about it. Wouldn't this, if Brady finishes off this regular season and gets back to the Super Bowl, wouldn't this be his eighth start? This would be at least his seventh. Seventh. You're also talking about a team that's made it to ten championship games in the modern NFL era. Exactly. The only team that's even made ten championship games, let alone this close together, you have to go back to the days of Otto Graham and the Cleveland Browns in the 40s and 50s. (laughs) And half of those weren't even in the NFL. No, they weren't. American Football Conference. Exactly. I'm for even further proving my point. Yeah, look, I mean, this is an Oakland team. Like I said, they have a high-powered offense. But going into Foxborough, which is a possibility, Oakland does have that number one seed right now. But it's basically by percentage points. So one loss and a win by the Patriots can, can change all that. If they're hosting the game, the Raiders then they might that might give them a little bit better of a chance. But still, you've got experience. You've got a ex- more experienced head coach, more experienced quarterback. It's going to be hard for Oakland, especially with that defense, to take down New England. Not, get, not saying they won't have a chance, but it's going to be difficult, especially if they're going to have to travel to Foxborough. And I don't yeah, think it's a difference of percentage points. It goes down delving deep into the rules of tiebreakers on that one. Well, right now, they've got them by a game. I'm with you guys. I mean, Tom Brady has lost so many great receivers over the the years, and he still won four Super Bowls, made the six. Especially if this game's at Foxborough, you already know the Patriots could beat the Raiders. If it's in Oakland, it will be a closer game, but I still think Patriots will win So, but I, I've just been hearing everybody. A lot of people have been saying, "Now that Gronk is out, the Patriots are screwed. Dude. You can't, you can't go to Super Bowl, Gronk." Are forgetting about Martellus Bennett, who can do yeah, Martellus Bennett, Chris, Chris Hogan, what uh, Gronk can do. That's why they got him in the off season because Gronk is an injury risk. Take a look at Garrett Blunt, James White. He can do many things. I mean. It's still a great team, Gronk or not. So, any final thoughts from anybody? Eh, Oakland has proved me right. They've taken a big step, but I picked the Chiefs at the beginning of the season for a reason. Again, some people thought I was nuts. I wonder where they're at now. But I, I, I still think that the Raiders win the division, but don't get further in the playoffs. No, it, one and done. One and done. Okay. So that'll do it from us from the Football Five. Eric Watkins, Josh Lloyd, Dylan Goldman, I'm Stephen Err. What, what are we going, week 14 now? Yep, the final yes. for the fourth quarter of the season. That's right. Enjoy week 14. We'll be back next week. To, to do our thing here on the Football Five.
The following podcast is a W2M Network partnership production. Visit W2Mnet.com for all of our other great podcasts, plus news, reviews, articles, and opinions from the worlds of wrestling, video games, football, and entertainment.